You're listening to a podcast of local news from the County of Suffolk in the United Kingdom. This is brought to you by the St. Edmundsbury News Talk Association, a UK registered charity. Seven, eight, nine, ten. Hello and welcome to the 1847th edition of St Edinburgh News Talk for the 24th of September 2021. The editor of this edition is Mary Grenville. The producer is Joan Hogarth. And your readers are Margaret Charlesworth and Adrian Grenville. We should also mention our processing teams who work hard behind the scenes to copy and dispatch this memory stick to you. We will repeat any telephone numbers that are in this edition at the end of the memory stick. And now, news headlines. Warning over rising levels of doorstep crime. Dad of missing Corey utterly broken by his disappearance. Market on the move again. Worsening crisis in NHS dentistry set to continue. Warning over rising levels of doorstep crime. Vulnerable and elderly targeted, says council. Authorities are bracing themselves for a rise in doorstep crime as life returns to normal across Suffolk. Rogue trader reports plummeted during the first COVID-19 lockdown as people stayed at home and kept doorstep crime in check. But officials have warned that people returning to workplaces could leave the elderly and vulnerable at renewed risk. Just 27 rogue trader incidents were reported between April and June last year but rose to a two-year high of 68 between April and June this year, as restrictions were removed. In June last year, a 94-year-old Sudbury resident was driven in her dressing gown to withdraw cash for a road trader who charged £250 to mow the lawn. Lowestoft residents lost cash on road traders who demanded £200 up front for roof repairs which were neither needed nor completed. Andrew Reid, Suffolk County Council Cabinet Member for Public Health, Public Protection and Communities, said Doorstep fraud is a terrible crime which can have lasting ramifications for victims and their families. We urge our local communities to be vigilant and to look out for their elderly and vulnerable neighbours. Often it is neighbours, relatives and friends who raise the alarm. Rogue traders are highly organised professional offenders who have developed their skills over the years. To report rogue traders in your area, call the Citizens Advice Consumer Services on 0808 223 1133 or 
Dial 999 if a crime is in progress. Dad of missing Corrie, utterly broken by his disappearance. Father speaks five years after son was last seen. The father of missing airman Corrie McCaig said the disappearance of his son back in 2016 has left him utterly broken. It will be five years tomorrow since the RAF gunner was last seen in Berris and Edmonds after a night out. The serviceman was stationed at RAF Honington. Dad, Martin McCaig, said, I'm just as devastated as I was when I first found out my son was missing. It's been a horrendous five years. It's not got any easier. As a matter of fact, it's got a whole lot worse. I miss Corrie every day. I think about Corrie every day. I wish I could put my arms around him. He was last seen on CCTV entering a bin loading area behind a row of shops in Brent Govel Street, Berris and Edmonds, on Saturday, September the 24th, 2016, after a night out drinking with RAF colleagues. Despite a multi-million pound investigation which included two separate searches of a landfill site in Milton, Cambridgeshire, no trace of the airman has ever been found. The investigation was passed to cold case detectives in March 2018. Market on move again. Temporary switch while council searches for permanent new home. New Market's popular Tuesday market is set to be moved to a temporary location from next week as the search begins for a suitable long-term place for it to be held. West Suffolk Council recently commissioned a highway safety review in the market, which noted that, despite its success in footfall terms, there were safety concerns about the stalls being on the highway and fears over weather conditions. This led the council to decide on temporarily moving the market back to the Market Square car park from September the 28th. The council will then examine long-term solutions for its location and has pledged to work closely with partners and traders to find a permanent solution with a return to Newmarket High Street still on the table providing the location can be made safe. The move has come in the wake of incidents in which gazebos have been blown into the road by high winds and after concerns are raised over the fact that non-fixed barriers are all that separates the stalls from nearby passing traffic. Worsening crisis in NH dentistry set to continue. There is no end in sight for Berris and Edmonds patients caught up in the worsening crisis in NHS dental care in West Suffolk. Independent watchdog Healthwatch Suffolk this week described the NHS dental system as unquestionably, unquestionably broken and completely unsatisfactory. The damning verdict comes after it emerged NHS England plans for seven new dental services across Suffolk and Norfolk failed to include any in West or Mid-Suffolk. NHS England is in the process of procuring new dental services in both counties. However, Thetford is the only town in this region set to benefit. The news will come as a blow to thousands of people struggling to find an NHS dentist. Bianca Neumann-May has been unable to attend a routine checkup for two years. 
Initially, the pandemic disrupted her appointments. However, she was then disappointed to receive a text from Morton Hall-based Saxon Dental Practice informing her all routine examinations had been cancelled due to two dentists leaving through work-related stress. The text invited patients to call to rebook for 2022. However, the anchor said the telephone was consistently unanswered with no facility to leave a message. That makes it impossible to book for next year, said Bianca. So I rang every single dentist in the east of England and no one will take us. Every dentist I spoke to within two hour radius says their books are closed and there are hundreds of people on the waiting list. In the end, we found one dentist who said it would he would take us on as private patients. But it raises the question, should people get into debt for their health? And now for some general news. Band ready to strike up once more. Haverhill Youth and Community Band, H-Y-A-C-B, will play in public for the first time since December 2019 when they perform at St Mary's Church with proceeds going to the church's funds. The concert on October 9 at 7pm with tickets between six and three pounds at the door, is in gratitude to St Mary's, which enabled inside rehearsals to resume in mid-May. Three young members have joined up since returning and are now resuming, and the two youngest, Ivy 6 and Archie Parnell 8, have been awarded top quality cornets by Geneva Instruments after taking part in an online solo competition in June. The competition judge said, For two so young, their playing simply showed their joy of music making. Ivy is an amazing talent with a personality that just invites you to listen to her play. It's like a musical hug. Billion pound new hub, designed to bring together a number of different services under one roof, has been officially opened to the public. It was officially unveiled on Friday after a phased opening over the summer. The Milton Hall Hub features a new school, new gym, fitness studios and a 3G pitch, swimming pools and sports hall, a new town library, health centre, children's centre, citizens advice West Suffolk and a job centre. It also features office space for the NHS, police Suffolk County Council and West Suffolk Council. The project cost around £39 million. Esme Perpetuo and Stanley Turner from Mildenhall College Academy joined Clara Saw and Jackson Lerman from Little Treasures Nursery and Sonal Balray, a Mildenhall Library customer, joined three Abbeycroft users to unveil a plaque to mark the official opening of the hub following its phased opening over the summer. Esme said, It's so good. I think it is really big, clean, spacious. It is a really good learning environment for the school. Stanley said, It is a really easy layout. The building is amazing. It is really modern and a lot better than our old school. Plus it has loads of really good facilities, such as the gym and pool. Then you have everything in the school, the cooking rooms, the design technology rooms, it's great. Bulb scheme. 
As part of a town council-led initiative to improve the look of Newmarket and some of its open spaces, a community bulb planting event is being planned for next month. It will be on Saturday, October the 2nd, and will be led by the town mayor, Councillor Michael Jeffries. We are hoping to plant 10,000 daffodil bulbs, which have been very kindly donated to us, said Councillor Jeffries, and we would like the residents of Newmarket to help us plant them. We will meet on the green off the Yellow Brick Road at 10am on October the 2nd. This is a wonderful opportunity for the community to help bring some spring colour to the Yellow Brick Road. We'll be planting the bulbs around the edges of the green. It should be an impressive sight as spring arrives next year. A coroner has called on a Suffolk hospital to communicate more with patients' families and friends following the death of a man from Newmarket. Joshua Sahota, 25, died after being admitted to Wedgwood House in Berris and Edmonds in 2019. He had been admitted to the hospital run by the Norfolk and Suffolk NHS Foundation Trust following an incident where he drove off a bridge onto the A14. Whilst at Wedgwood House, Mr Sohota's family brought him some clothes in a plastic bag. Unbeknownst to the family, plastic bags were a prohibited item and despite checks by staff, it still made its way onto the ward. Mr Sohota later used a plastic bag to end his life. An inquest into his death confirmed he had died from asphyxia. In a Prevention of Future Deaths report sent to NSFT and the government, Senior Coroner for Suffolk, Nigel Parsley, said that there had been no effective communication between the family and ward about items that could not be brought to Mr Sohota. He called for the Trust to take action. The second Great Global Greyhound Walk to meet at Haverhill's East Town Park attracted double the number of dogs compared to 2019. Sunday's walk was one of 353 involving 7,442 sighthounds to take place across the world on the same day, a turnout that delighted the organiser Brian Williams. He said... I was really surprised and pleased to see so many sighthounds with their humans turn up at the Haverhill Walk. We've doubled the number of dogs from the event two years ago. This year we had 13 greyhounds, nine other sighthounds, lurchers, whippets and even a borzoi, and two others, a total of 24 dogs. Feedback from everyone who attended the Haverhill Walk was really good and I hope to be holding more regular walks for greyhounds and sighthounds maybe every three or four months in Haverhill, and everybody said they would be keen to attend. The Royal British Legion in Suffolk celebrated its centenary on Sunday with an evensong service staged in the Cathedral of St Edmundsbury. The county's RBL was founded in May 1921, the same month that the organisation launched nationally. But the centenary service was held in September due to COVID-19. The Right Reverend Martin Seeley, Bishop of St Edmundsbury and Ipswich, led the service and gave the address with RBL branch standards and more than 170 guests. 
Guests included the following. Countess of Euston, Lord Lieutenant of Suffolk. Edward Creasy, High Sheriff of Suffolk. Joe Falzen, National Vice Chairman of the RBL. Jamie Lother Pinkerton, President of Suffolk RBL. And Kenneth Rowbottom, Chairman of Suffolk RBL. There were also military representatives from the Royal Navy, Army and RAF, veterans and cadet forces. Jamie Lother Pinkerton said, For a century, our members and volunteers have worked tirelessly in the service of others, supporting our veterans and their families in need, as well as those still serving. An independent cinema is embarking on the final stage of its current expansion, bringing much-needed toilets to the foyer. Abigate Cinema in Hatter Street, Bury St Edmunds, has been undergoing a huge refurbishment project, including the addition of a 180-seater premier screen. The cinema is now starting a three-month fundraising drive to help raise money for the next part of its development, with building work expected to be around 40000 Regular visitors at the cinema will no doubt have seen the area allocated for toilets in the foyer and the beautiful architecture waiting to be sympathetically restored, said Andrea Holmes, marketing manager at Abigate Cinema. A new angel artwork has been created in Bury St Edmunds, fittingly at the famous Angel Hotel. The mural, which is free for everyone to view, is by contemporary artist Rachel List. Rachel from West Yorkshire gained prominence during the first lockdown with her painting NHS Angel and she currently has several of her artworks on display at the Moments exhibition in Bury St Edmunds and that's at Moises Hall. She was commissioned by the Angel Hotel located on Angel Hill to create a mural outside the entrance. Rachel said being called the Angel Hotel for me instantly brings forward images of white feathers. The hotel itself is incredibly stylish, image-wise. So when they asked for a mural with a single angel wing, it was my aim to create something subtle that you could almost walk by. The word, key word being almost, something relaxing and welcoming for guests. I used acrylics and masonry paint to create the mural, but was under the mercy of the great British weather, which at the time was torrential rain. However, that can be part of the fun of a mural, and the way I work to create something in the moment. Her original NHS Angel painting features in the Moments exhibition at Moises Hall Museum, and she also created one there as part of an event. Fiona Boville, Group Sales and Marketing Manager at Gough Hotels, is delighted with the new artwork at the Angel Hotel. She said, We invited Rachel List to create an artwork at the entrance to our hotel, as her angel work was very appropriate for us. We are very pleased with the mural, which leads guests perfectly into the hotel. A theatre has received a £50,000 boost towards an initiative supporting young people with learning disabilities thanks to a charity auction featuring items donated by superstar Ed Sheeran and his family. The Theatre Royal, Berry St Edmunds, will use the money from charity Gee Whiz 
for its new non-verbal youth theatre groups, which launch next week, and thanks to the donation, will run until 2025. The interactive sessions will explore a variety of theatrical mediums through non-verbal dialogue and delivery to help young people with learning disabilities or are neurodivergent, building confidence and to make new friends. GWIZ donated the money from its Ed Sheeran Made in Suffolk Legacy Auction, which featured personal items donated by the singer and his family, and raised £506,000. Founder Gina Long said, We are all personally know of many local families who will benefit from a much-needed project like this. She noted the groups will help young people to make friends in a supported and friendly environment with a team of experienced practitioners. I've got a feature item here before we have some more letters called The Fairy Loaves. These are bad luck in Norfolk and good in Suffolk. Plump domed fossils that tell a story hundreds of millions of years old, it is unsurprising that people believe these star-shaped stones were filled with magic. In Sussex, they were displayed on windowsills as good luck charms to prevent lightning, based on a belief they had fallen to earth during a storm and therefore would not be hit by lightning a second time. Some thought the sound of a thunderclap was made by the stone falling to the ground. The strange star-spangled stones are supposed to be able to prevent milk from souring and to predict rain. When a downpour is near, they apparently sweat. Some believe they are the hearts of children that have turned to stone, others that the star represents the one seen in the sky in the nativity story, while a persistent belief is that these echinoids are sea urchin are actually petrified snake eggs. It was said the eggs formed on Midsummer's night from the froth of snakes, which, if shaped into a ball, could protect you from deadly poisons. In Scandinavia, the fossils were used to keep away witchcraft and wicked elves. In Italy, they were hung around children's necks in order to protect them from illness and ward off the evil eye. And in France, they were used to help ease the pain of childbirth. In Japan, they were used to cure boils and ulcers. In Malay, they sharpened daggers with them. And in Eastern Europe, it was believed that echinoids could reveal hidden treasure if used during Passion Week, the period between Palm Sunday to Easter Sunday. But in our part of the world, they are another example of the lively rivalry between the counties of Norfolk and Suffolk. In Suffolk, the fairy loaves, so named due to their similar appearance to a traditional loaf of bread, were kept in household hearths, polished with black lead and believed to be lucky charms. Calling at a cottage in a retired lane in the parish of Carlton Colville, near this town, a few weeks since, I saw on the chimney piece what appeared to be a fine specimen of fossil echinus, though disfigured by the successive coats of black lead used to give it a polish. A passage in the East Anglian or Notes and Queries on subjects connected with the Suffolk counties of Counties of Suffolk, Cambridge, Essex and Norfolk by Samuel Tim reads brackets, they knew how to name a book in 19, 1864 
I was informed that it had been found on the land some twenty years before, that it was a fairy loaf, and that whoever had one of these loaves in the house would never want for bread. If the household went without bread for more than a week, it was a sure sign that witchcraft had blocked the fairy loaves' protective powers. Meanwhile, over the county border in Norfolk, bringing a fairy loaf indoors was considered to be the height of reckless stupidity. In the New London Gazette in 1827, the following article ran from a correspondent. Being lately in Norfolk, I discovered that the rustics belonging to that part of it in which I was staying particularly regarded a kind of fossil stone, which much resembled as sea egg petrified, and was found frequently in the flinty gravel of that county. They esteemed such stones sacred to the elfin train, and termed them fairy loaves, forbearing to touch them, lest misfortunes should come upon them for the sacrilege. An old woman told me that as she was trudging home one night from her field work, she took up one of these fossils and was going to carry it home with her, but was soon obliged to drop it and take to heels as quick as might be from hearing a wrathful voice exclaim, though she saw nobody, Give me my loaf! Give me back my loaf, I say! Echinoids can be found all over southern and eastern England and are often found in areas where there is chalk. Berry in Bloom News Nurseries, schools and care homes came together for the Berry in Bloom Green King Green Finger Awards. Hosted at the Athenaeum on Angel Hill, the initiative which aims to get more people into their gardens and showing their creativity made its return after last running in 2018. Being an Olympic year, Gold, Silver and Bronze Awards were handed out, although all entrants were recognised to encourage everyone, young and old, to keep planting. David Irvine, Berry and Bloom's coordinator, said, We were delighted with the number of schools and care homes that attended. It seemed to bring out the famous fighting spirit to demonstrate the pandemic was not going to beat us. In the nursery section... Howard Community Academy scooped gold, with Tolgate Primary being awarded silver. For care homes, Glastonbury Court and Davis Court ran a very close contest, with the former taking top spot and £50 in gardening vouchers, and the latter taking silver and £25. More than 700 road signs across Suffolk have been damaged or obscured and the County Council does not have enough money to repair or clear them all. The Council has come under fire from motorists and residents over the state of its signs across the county, but Cabinet Member Paul West said it could not afford to undertake all the work needed. He said, Like all Council departments, our budget is limited and we have to be careful how we spend our money. That means we are able to maintain the mandatory signs that affect road safety, but are not able to repair or clear all the direction signs. All council departments have to watch what they spend their money on. It is not just road signs. There are many other pressures on our spending, as people are aware, like fixing potholes and resurfacing roads. In early September, the council had a running total of 700 signs waiting to be repaired or cleared. Since then... I wonder if that word, it says cleared, but it should be cleaned, perhaps. 
Anyway, since then, more reports had been coming in and the numbers were continuing to rise. Suffolk County Council has faced a long battle against vegetation overrunning its signs with frequent complaints by motorists. But now there have also been reports of signs falling over because they have rusted. Best villages named. Three places in Suffolk have been named among the 50 best villages in the UK by a national newspaper. The Sunday Times picked villages with attractive houses, good connections, a decent school and friendly neighbours. Lavenham, Nayland and Stutton were selected from the approximately 200 villages in Suffolk. Lavenham, in West Suffolk, was praised for its beautiful architecture, describes a higgledy-piggledy feast for the eyes. The nearest station is Sudbury, and a house costs 390000 on average. The national newspaper recommended Nayland as perfect for urban exiles, noting the 15-minute drive to Colchester Station. The average house price in Nayland is 543000 The final Suffolk village chosen was Stutton, on the Shotley Peninsula, with a community shop, two pubs and a school, the Sunday Times described it as the perfect base to explore Alton Water. Manning Tree Station is five miles away, and the average house costs 343000 A judge has ordered a pre-sentence report to be prepared on a young criminal who burgled the home of a vulnerable woman after she allowed him to use the toilet. Louis Falco, 20, formerly of Bridge End Road, Red Lodge, has admitted burglary, theft and three offences of fraud by false representation last summer. Falco stole a purse belonging to a woman in her 70s who was recovering from a brain injury and self-isolating alone at home in Barrow, near Bury St Edmunds, on the evening of August the 19th last year. Yesterday at Ipswich Crown Court, Judge Martin Levitt said it was regrettable that there had been such a long delay in the case, but said it was a serious matter and important to have a report prepared by the probation service before he sentenced Falco. He said a psychiatric report had concluded that Falco had personality disorder rather than a psychiatric illness, and a hospital disposal wasn't being recommended. He adjourned the case until October 11th and told Falco he would have to remain in custody until that date. Barry St Edmund's own Banksy has gifted a genuine piece from the Bristol-based artist to an art exhibition following a discovery of one of their own works last week. Sam Reed, one of the organisers of the exhibition, which is due to take place at Christchurch Morton Hall, found what she believed was a genuine artwork by the world-renowned artist on a walk one morning. Creations by the anonymous artist have been spotted around the town at the Moises Hall and on High Baxter Street, leading to rumours that Banksy could have visited the town. The artist who goes by the name of Peace Cans, has come forward to confirm he is behind the work found by Sam. Mr Reed confirmed that the artwork could be displayed at the exhibition before the anonymous artist came forward.
Now, though, Peace Cans has donated an actual Banksy to be displayed at the church. The anonymous artist said, I'm so glad Sam found the file and connected it to the image. I also like what she said about the possible reasons for its creation. I've since been told about the excellent work she does for the town, and I thought the cycle rickshaw service was a great example of this. I genuinely feel sorry that they don't have a work of art by the world's greatest living artist, but just some Suffolk lad into mindful vandalism. I have access to a real Banksy welcome mat. The mat is hand-stitched using the fabric from life vests abandoned on the Mediterranean beaches. The mats were designed by the world-renowned artist Banksy and fabricated in Greek refugee camps. They are very welcome to display this at the event so they and the town can enjoy the real thing for free. We are very excited about our exhibition being a success and, through the fantastic opportunity has brought this about, we are really pleased. I'm starting on some letters now. Urgent changes needed to online TV. Now this letter is written by a lady, or maybe man, Sonali Rai, who is the broadcast and audio description manager at RNIB. His name is Roger Wicks. Sir, according to the Media Nations 2021 report, published by Ofcom earlier this month, nearly half of UK adults now consider online video services to be their main way of watching TV and film. Yet most of these services continue to remain inaccessible to people with hearing and sight loss. Without subtitles, sign language and audio description, people will continue to be excluded from the experience which is enjoyed by most of their hearing and sighted peers. In 2017, the government were given the power to regulate video on demand, brackets VOD, services, and set minimum levels for subtitled, audio described and signed content. Four years have passed, but the law still has not been put into action. Enough is enough with recommendations on what the regulations should be and how they should be applied, provided by Ofcom earlier this year, now is the time for the government to deliver on what has been promised. It's time to enact the regulations to ensure those with sight and hearing loss are not excluded from something so simple as watching TV and films, and that RNID and RNIB, we are calling on them not to delay any longer. Brexit Broken, Britain Apology Written by Colin Rossini of Devercourt When are the government going to apologise to the people for Brexit Broken Britain? Empty shelves and a lack of staff in the hospitality sector show the consequences of a ramshackle random referendum. What these economic zealots have inflicted on the UK proves that the Project Fear was a smokescreen to hide the crippling effects of trade problems in a bad deal Brexit. Now they are hiding behind the pandemic. What a shameless shower they are. Now Brexit has become a damage 
limitation exercise. A letter here written by R. Stannard of Aldborough. Sir, what an amazing addition the new tower is to the National Trust's Sutton Hoo site. To be able to look across the whole of the burial ground from such a vantage point is wonderful, and also to enjoy the great views of the wider area, including the River Deben and even as far as Felixstowe. The National Trust's revamp of Sutton Hoo, the new walks and exhibitions provide a wonderful interpretation of the, of the archaeological site and the discoveries made without spoiling the area at all. I am completely convinced the tower will eventually blend in with the trees around it. Suffolk is so lucky to have Sutton Hoo and the wonderful story behind the dig and those who lived in the area 1400 years ago. Long live Town's Community Spirit, writes Barry Peters, our local editor. The community spirit is alive and kicking in our Berry St Edmunds, and long may that continue. Late last night we unveiled our Citizen of the Year, our Lifetime Achievement Award winner, and countless other Good Samaritans as the 2021 Community Awards, in association with the Town Council, drew to their conclusion. What struck me when I was judging the hundred or so nominations was the amount of good, the amount of selfless work which goes on behind the scenes of estates, streets and companies across our historic town. From youngsters helping to deliver fruit and veg, to our elderly and vulnerable, the food banks coming ever more to the fore in times of need, there are some fantastic stories to tell which often go under the news radar. Couple that with the firms who put their hands up as sponsors and make the awards work through their support financially and the sense of pride in our little corner of West Suffolk was really evident last night. You can catch up with the winners on our Berry Free Press website and in the paper next week, everyone was a winner as Berry once showed itself to be a force for good. A letter here from Edward Thorpe of Blacksall. Sir, I am hard pushed to understand what all the fuss is about because Lord Deben, John Gummer as we always know him in Suffolk, suggests there should be no street lights in the countryside and people should carry a torch. Why should such a suggestion make the front page? It's what people do in the countryside already and having been doing, have been doing so for ages. Decades, if not hundreds of years. Hundreds of Suffolk villages do not have streetlights and do not need them. The enveloping darkness of an autumn or winter night is one of the joys of living in the country. Being able to watch the stars and proper sunsets is a privilege which living in a light-filled town would remove. People move to the countryside because it is quiet, because at night it is dark because it is different to living in a town or city. It is true that not so many people go walking at night, but those that do already always take a torch. It's common sense. Barry, try a cup of fair trade coffee, writes Anthony Georgie of Nodishall. Thank you for the report on Zero Waste Week from 
Barbara Eels, containing some useful reminders about sustainability. Berry Free Press of September the 3rd. I was particularly interested to learn of your esteemed editor's coffee habit and pleased to note his pledging to return to his keep cup and recycle more. If he wanted to go down an even more sustainable route, he might like to make sure that his coffee is fair trade. Fair trade producers sign up to a code of practice that means they grow their coffee with fewer chemical inputs and in ways which protect the environment. I've seen for myself fair trade coffee plantations which use other crops such as orange trees to shade the coffee bushes and encourage biodiversity. This means that pests can be controlled naturally by predators and water is better retained in the soil. The pulp from the coffee bean has to be removed and this can cause pollution in local rivers but fair trade plantations often use settling tanks and filter beds to ensure the rivers are kept clean and healthy. Of course, the social and economic benefits for the farmers are considerable as well. So Mr Peters will be benefiting many families would find life very difficult without the fair trade premium. Of the coffees, Mr Peters mentions, only Starbucks offers fair trade and therefore can guarantee the high environmental and social standards that means it is sustainable. So, how about it? Happily allow companies to build plants that will discharge more heat into the air. Sorry, that was a mistake. So, how about it? Barry, a reasonable mug filled with delicious fair trade coffee, giving yourself, coffee farmers and the planet, a little lift. Written by the Reverend Richard Stanier, the chair of Suffolk Association of Fair Trade Towns. Observation Stations Sir, has the Home Office and Border Force not noticed that there is a line of Martello Towers along the Suffolk coast which could be recommissioned to curtail migrant smuggling? That's from David Chaplin in Horringer. Industrial Heat Loss Sir, you very published my letter about the huge heat that Friston substation release into the atmosphere. I now learn that in order to service an underwater electric cable from Belgium, the National Grid is proposing to build an AC-DC converter substation near Sizewell called the Leyston 400 kV. This, like Friston, will release large amounts of heat into the atmosphere. It's unbelievable that when our rulers repeatedly urge us to insulate to stop heat losses, they happily allow companies to build plants that will discharge more heat into the air than the insulation of all the houses in East Suffolk would save. I doubt that any protest will stop this new development. But the EADT could show its green credentials by spearheading a campaign to capture this waste heat as hot water and use it for a district heating scheme. This would be a worthwhile effort to reduce global warming. It would also give the companies building these substations some dubious green credibility, wrote Anthony Georgie of Nodishaw. We have a letter here from Malcolm Searle of Garrison <coughs> Edmonds. Heading his charges would cause misery. 
The simple answer to Michael Johnson's simple question in letters of September the 10th of why not charge for NHS services is that for those who cannot afford private health insurance, medicines, doctor's fees and operations, especially long term, there is suffering, pain, misery and potentially early death as was widespread before it was established. Bin appointments at Recycling Hub. Writes Andrew Denny via an email. Now that our pubs, restaurants, theatres and cinemas have been allowed to fully reopen, perhaps it is also time that the taxpayer be allowed once again to throw items into a skip without having to make an appointment 24 hours in advance. Hmm. Um... Do we do what's on now? Let's do some what's on. At the Theatre Royal in Bury on the 28th of October at 7.30. That's a Thursday. There's Rob Newman's Philosophy Show. In this all-new show, multi-award winning stand-up comic Rob Newman weaves together Nietzsche's sunglasses, James Bond in Toxteth, Electric Spiders, and singing Neanderthals into a hilarious tour de force that offers new hope for a changing world. Hmm. Now, some events that are on at the Apex in Charter Square. There is a free concert, Salvation Army celebration, on Saturday, the 2nd of October, 7pm, an open evening of worship, music and song. Vivaldi... The Four Seasons, La Ceramicia, Monday, 4th of October, 7.30. Tickets at 28 to £23, pounds, £6 pounds for under-25s. La Ceramissima heads a glorious and all-too-rare ability to make one's pulse race afresh with every new project, wrote the Gramophone magazine. Also, Suffolk Philharmonic Orchestra... Saturday the 9th of October, 7.30. Tickets between 22.50 and 39.50. Mozart. 40th Symphony. Exultata Jubilate. Iona Kleiner Musiknacht. And 4th Horn Concerto. And also World Doctors Orchestra. With Dame Evelyn Glennie. Sunday the 3rd of October, 6pm. £26.50. Malcolm Arnold, a grand, grand festival overture. Michael Doherty, Deutsche Maschine, for solo percussion orchestra. Arnold Black's, Tintagel Edward and Elgar's Enigma Variations. Here's another item which is coming on at the Theatre Royal in Bury St Edmunds. And it's another comedian. It's Ed Byrne this time. On the 10th of October, which is a Sunday, and it's at 7.30 again. Join Ed as he takes a long, hard look at himself and tries to decide if he has any traits that are worth passing on to his children. Ed Byrne presents his brand new masterclass in observational comedy, hot on the heels of his 1718 touring hit, Spoiler Alert. A TV household name in the past year, 
Ed has appeared on Live at the Apollo, host was BBC, <laughs> Mock the Week, BBC again, The Pilgrimage, again BBC, and Top Gear, BBC, and QI, BBC. Abbey 1000, a feature. Abbey benefited from an annual fair. Guilds in the Middle Ages played an important role in society. They provided a way for trade skills to be learned and passed down from generation to generation. Members of a guild had the opportunity to rise in society through hard work, though nepotism often played an important part. Not to the liking of the abbot, guilds were also looked upon as a direct threat to the power and control of the abbey. The Candlemas Guild, which eventually evolved into the Guildhall Fefment, the premier Berry Guild, would be at odds with the abbey from the power base at the Guildhall, the oldest civic building in the country. Here you can see a painting of Janklin Smith, the town's mayor, benefactor. A cake and ale ceremony in July each year follows on from his endowed service in St Mary's Church, held in 1481, possibly the oldest such in the country. The main income from the town was derived from the bull trade, Coverlet's a speciality. Over time, the burgesses, free men, of the town elected to office enabled Bury St Edmunds to be the wealthiest town in Suffolk, though at the time it was challenged by Lavenham and acknowledged Walltown. In medieval times, late September and early October, saw St Matthew's Fair held in the town. This would achieve fame as Bury Fair one of the most important in the country, you could say similar to today's popular Christmas fair, the abbot extracted tolls from it under a charter granted by Henry III and also administered the pie powder court from Dusty Feet, which dealt with disputes during the fair. It brought huge numbers of visitors to the town, stallholders and entertainers, and at one time it even became a marriage market for prospective candidates. Eventually, it was abolished by an Act of Parliament in 1871 as being far too rumbustious. An item of general news now. Not very nice one, I'm afraid. Gangs of lampers who shine bright lights to distract animals and then kill them are travelling from miles around to ply their disgusting trade in Suffolk. That is the warning from Sergeant Brian Calver from Suffolk Police's Rural Crime Team who said the groups breed dogs specifically to attack the animals whilst they are transfixed. Lamping, as it is known, is legal when done by farmers and lone landowners as a means of controlling rabbits or foxes whilst adhering to a strict code of conduct. But Sergeant Calver said gangs are travelling from as far away as Yorkshire and Wales to engage illicitly in the sick sport which normally starts in mid-September. Lamping itself is a completely lawful activity which is generally used by gamekeepers and pest controllers to keep numbers of rabbits and foxes down, he said. Lawful lampers will often use red filters to highlight the eyes and it's a light that can't be seen by the animal. But the sort of people we're talking about use high-powered lamps that are wired into vehicles 
and they will light up the field. What the majority of them are doing is setting dogs on them. We're getting gangs coming down from Yorkshire and Wales and they're targeting badgers, foxes and deer. They'll drive around the field looking for their target and then release the dogs onto them. They are breeding dogs specifically for it. They are breeding bull terriers with lurchers, so you end up with a really powerful dog built for speed and power. Scones and songs fight loneliness. Come and share a pot of tea. Our welcome is warm and our friendship free, is the motto of the rural coffee caravan. On Sunday, October the 4th, at the Blackbourne Centre in Elmswell, the coffee caravan will be tackling loneliness within the older generation through an afternoon of cake, tea, live music and dancing. Joe Reader, CEO of the BSEVC, said creating community experiences that encouraging inclusion has never been more important as we start to re-engage with friends, families and communities following the challenges of the last year or more. The roaming vehicle travels across Suffolk, bringing people together to defeat the ever-growing issue that isolation presents. Talented local vocalist Chelsea Francis will be performing at the event, which is part of a national day combating loneliness. To book via telephone, call... 01379 855338 or visit ruralcoffeecaravan.org.uk A passionate young writer is celebrating the release of her debut book, written when she was just 10. Tiana Okachukwu, that might not be how she pronounces it, but that's what it looks like, and she comes from Copdoc, and she has been hailed as Suffolk's youngest author with the release of Hamsters Don't Get Lost, They Go on Adventures. The 32-page illustrated book will be released on September the 28th and will be found on the shelves of Waterstones and W.H. Smith. The young writer wrote the book for children who have lost a beloved pet to cope with their grief and says it is the first in a series of titles. Now 11, the St Joseph's College pupil said, I love English. My mum is an author as well and she inspired me to get into writing. I'm very proud of myself for writing a book. I'm a young author. It's cool. Her love for writing has been supported by her family and teacher, Wendy Windmill, who taught her for four years at Copdoc Primary School. Tiana said, I like writing by hand. It feels a bit more exciting by hand. I would like to write mystery books. On leaving year six, Tiana was told she could be the next J.K. Rowling from supportive teachers and friends. The 11-year-old will donate 20% of her book sales to Autism Anglia to support children like her younger brother, Vlad, who is eight and is profoundly autistic. As well as juggling school, sports and art, Tiana is working on book two called Cats Don't Get Lost. She added, I hope they feel I have shared a message with people, which is that love does not get lost. We are now coming to the end of this edition of St Edmundsbury News Talk. 
If you have any comments about the memory stick or difficulty playing it, please use the phone number on the pink sheet which you have been given or put a note in the pouch when you return the memory stick to us. We would like to acknowledge our appreciation of the Berry Free Press, East Anglian Daily Times, Haverhill Echo and New Market Journal from whose pages most of our items have been taken. The telephone numbers mentioned in this edition were the Theatre Royal of Berry and Edmonds, 01284 769 505 and the Apex, 01284 758 000. News Talk will be back again next week. So until then, from Joan, Margaret, Adrian and Mary, it's goodbye. Goodbye. listening to a podcast brought to you by the St Edmundsbury News Talk Association. You can view more information about News Talk on our website at www.stedmundsburynewstalk.org.uk. The music in this podcast was provided under Creative Commons license by Scott Holmes. This podcast was created entirely by volunteers in our Bury St Edmunds studio.